Bobby Wagner officially has a new home, and it's in the NFC West. What's that mean for the Seahawks and their bitter division rivals down in Southern California heading into the 2022 season? I'm going to be breaking it all down on the latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, riding solo for our Thursday episode. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. One of the Seahawks' most prominent stars of all time is staying in the NFC West. I'm going to be breaking down where he signed and what that means for the Seahawks and a division rival. Plus, I'll be answering your questions on an extended mailbag with questions from our subscribers on both Twitter as well as YouTube. Looking forward to the chance to answer all of your questions on a jam-packed episode. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Bobby Wagner will be returning to Lumen Field next season, but it won't be in his typical Seahawks threads. Today, Adam Schefter of ESPN reporting that Wagner has agreed to terms with the Los Angeles Rams on a five-year, $50 million contract. It could be worth up to $65 million. Now, we don't know all the financial details of the contract, but certainly Bobby Wagner's willingness to bet on himself. There had been a bit of speculation out there that he was having a hard time finding a contract that met his financial demands. He is his own agent, so that creates some complications in that matter as well. But waiting a few extra weeks to sign a deal ended up paying dividends and he gets a really nice contract from the Rams. My suspicion is that this is one of those contracts where you have to read the fine print though, because Bobby Wagner's 31. He's going to be 32 in the summer, getting to be a little older player. He's got 10 years under his belt, got 10 years of NFL football on his tires. And so I can't see him playing another five seasons in LA on this contract. Maybe he goes two or three seasons but I bet this is one of those contracts where most of the guaranteed money is in the first two or three years, and then the Rams can move on. Or if Bobby Wagner's still playing at a high level, they can figure something out with his contract at that time. But I don't view this as a five-year contract where he's going to be playing all five seasons in L.A. Nonetheless, good for Bobby Wagner going out and getting a really good contract, $10 million per year under the terms of this deal. Again, we don't know what the contract numbers look like for these first couple of seasons, but the Rams upgrade to one position where they haven't been willing to make big expenses or investments, and that has been linebacker. Last year, Ernest Jones played really well as a rookie. Now he's going to get to learn from Bobby Wagner playing alongside him. And for Wagner, yeah, there's going to be some fans that are going to look at this as, oh, he wants the chance to play the Seahawks twice, just like Richard Sherman did going to the 49ers in 2018. And while that may be part of this, this is a very competitive football player. Bobby Wagner wants to show the Seahawks he can still play. He's also from Ontario, California, which is near Los Angeles. So he's going to be heading home. He's going to be near family. So this all along looked like a destination that made a lot of sense. Defending champions, a chance for him to maybe help them try to repeat or get another Super Bowl here in the next couple of years, add another ring to his collection. He's going to be playing with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. So you've got three guys that are perennial all-pro talents on the same defense, one player at each level of the defense. 
That's a scary proposition for opponents, even if Wagner is not the player that he was three or four years ago. And we've talked about that a number of times in this podcast. At 31, he is not the same player. You look in coverage, there are some deficiencies that have been created by his diminished athleticism. Teams were picking on him at times last year, and he only had three tackles for a loss. Has not been as good at making tackles behind the line or at the line of scrimmage, but he's still a very productive player. Had 170 tackles last year, was a second-team All-Pro, the eighth All-Pro selection of his career. So he is not what he used to be, but he's still a very fine linebacker. With the rest of the talent they've got in that defense, Aaron Donald eating blocks up front, the other talent they've got along the defensive line, he should be in line to have another really good season. And so the Seahawks fans are going to have to get used to seeing him in a Rams uniform. What does that mean for the Seahawks moving forward? John Schneider talked to reporters at the NFL's annual owner meetings earlier this week, and he was asked if there was a chance Wagner could come back because his market had been slow played to this point. Maybe the offers weren't out there that he was looking for, and John Schneider immediately downshot that possibility and said they were ready to move forward with Cody Barton and Jordan Brooks as their linebackers. And I think that's probably what you're going to see out on the field in September when the Seahawks open the season, whoever their opponent is. They certainly could draft a linebacker next month. They can compete with Cody Barton. They've got a couple other young players they're intrigued by, but I think that Barton has got that Mike linebacker spot. He played well the last two games last season. He's been waiting in the wings. And, of course, Jordan Brooks got an all-pro vote last year, led the Seahawks in tackles, had 184 of them, made some strides in coverage, had 10 tackles for loss. He looks like he's ready to take that torch from Bobby Wagner and become the next all-pro linebacker for the Seahawks. So I still think this is a position that they need to add some bodies. There are some really good linebackers in this draft class, maybe even on day two, that they could add to the mix. With Cody Barton being the last year of his contract, he's going to be playing for that second contract this year, competing for that opportunity to stay in Seattle. So certainly there's going to be some moving parts there to keep an eye on at linebacker, but they should be in good hands with Jordan Brooks. If Barton can play like he did the last two games, carry that over this year, I think he can get the job done at that position. If they have another guy that they bring in that they like, then that's that's an even better development for them. If they bring in a rookie and he beats out Cody Barton, then that's good news for the Seahawks. But that's going to be the way it's going to be across the board this year, as always. And I think there's going to be a re-emphasis on that, especially without Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner being in town. Competition is going to be emphasized more than usual across the board. So I would expect several guys are going to be in the hunt for that position. Cody Barton probably going to be the starter barring a big addition or a surprise draft pick early, I would think Barton's going to be the guy playing alongside Jordan Brooks in the 2022 season. Going to be answering a bunch of your questions here on our Thursday episode, an extended mailbag. I've gotten a number of questions from subscribers that listen to our show on Twitter as well as YouTube. So I'm going to dedicate most of this show to answering your questions. Got a ton of roster-related questions, draft-related questions, and even non-NFL, non-Seahawks-related questions to sprinkle in as well. So I'm going to start answering those questions here in a moment. After months of playing, college basketball has determined the top teams for the Final Four and will determine this year's national champion this coming week. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it, BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and wagering informational needs 
including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast, streaming five days a week on YouTube. We've got experts from all 32 teams providing insight and analysis. Also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms if you only listen to audio. Make sure to check it out again. That's the Locked On NFL podcast, available on all major platforms and streaming live on YouTube five days a week. It's time for our weekly mailbag. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, we got a lot more questions this week than we usually do. And so I decided, why not just dedicate the entire episode? Going to have a segment here with just Twitter questions and then a segment with our YouTube users. Make sure to give you guys a little bit of love today as well. So without further ado, let's get to our questions. First one here coming from DJ Rowdy. Do you see Baker Mayfield signing with us this year? If so, who do you see starting at the beginning of the season between him and Drew Locke? Well, that second question is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here because first, the Browns are going to have to release Baker Mayfield if the Seahawks are going to sign him. I think that a trade could still potentially happen there, but Seattle does not seem interested based on the people I've talked to about this over the past few weeks. Seattle does not seem interested in all in giving up a third or fourth or maybe even a fifth round pick for Baker Mayfield right now. The Browns don't have any leverage after trading for Deshaun Watson. If they want to get rid of Mayfield with his almost $19 million guaranteed salary, they're probably going to have to eat a large chunk of that salary as part of the trade to move him. And they can't expect that they're going to get a high draft pick. And I don't think the Seahawks are going to play that game where They're giving up a third or a fourth round pick for him. They would be bidding against themselves most likely. If he gets released or he's available for like a sixth or seventh round pick and they can have the Browns eat some of that salary, then I think that the trade's a possibility. And certainly if he gets released, the Seahawks will have interest. They just don't have a lot of cap space right now, though. They're under $10 in effective cap space with their re-signings that they've made, a few of the players they brought in. They don't have a lot of money that they can spend in the quarterback position. There would have to be some maneuvering in order in order to fit Baker Mayfield's contract in as it is. So he becomes a free agent. Certainly that opens the door for them to go out and add him, but it's hard to see them making a trade for him without the Browns eating a large chunk of that salary. And I think I could speak for any of the other teams that might have some interest in trading for him that they're not going to want to take on that big salary. If they do bring him in, I would favor him over Drew Locke, but I think it would be a really tight competition between those two, and the Seahawks would certainly give both guys an equal opportunity to win the job, considering they both got bounced by their previous teams. But Mayfield is the more established starter, and he led the Browns to an 11-5 record two years ago. I would pick him as my projected winner if that happens. There's a lot of dominoes that have to fall, though. 12th Man North tweets, how will the new defensive scheme create chances for Jordan Brooks to get downhill for tackles for loss? Bobby Wagner had only 17 in the last three seasons, and that needs to be improved. So I would agree with you. I just mentioned that looking at Bobby Wagner's new contract with the Rams and where he's at at this stage of his career. He only had three tackles for loss last season. As far as impact plays go, your interceptions, your sacks, your tackles for loss, Bobby Wagner is not making near as many of those plays, and he hasn't for the last few years. 
when he's been a blitzer, he's still been effective. But as far as a run defender goes, a lot of the tackles he's making, four, five, six yards downfield, you're not seeing those plays where he's shooting up into gaps and making plays behind or at the line of scrimmage like you did for most of his career. Now, maybe in L.A., he'll be able to get some of that back. But the declining athleticism, declining lateral movements, declining speed, all of that has impacted his ability to make those plays. But he was set up for success last year to make 170 tackles. The defensive line kept him free a lot of the time. You brought back Al Woods. You've still got Puna Ford. I think Shelby Harris and Quentin Jefferson, especially if they're going to be playing more of three, four style fronts, those guys as three techs are going to be monsters in the run game too. And there's going to be teams that are going to need to use double teams against some of those players. That creates openings for the linebackers. And I just look at Jordan Brooks, the progress he made last season. He had 10 tackles for loss a year ago. So he had more than double what Bobby Wagner did. He's got the athleticism that Wagner used to have. And I think he's got the instincts defending the run as well. He's learned a lot from playing alongside Wagner. So I think that has just as much to do with it as the defensive line and the scheme being able to set up those tackle opportunities, having an athlete back there that can shoot to the line of scrimmage and make plays. Bobby Wagner just doesn't do that like he used to. Jordan Brooks is going to be able to step into that role, already has shown that he can do that over the past year and a half since the Seahawks really threw him into the starting lineup midway through his rookie season. So I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities for him to make plays behind the line. I think the Seahawks will find ways to use him a bit more aggressively blitzing as well because he's been good at pressuring quarterbacks in limited opportunities. He's got a real chance to explode. And a lot of it has to do with the guys up front, but it also has to do with the fact that this guy is a great athlete with really good instincts that just seems to be scratching the surface of his potential. SoCal 12 tweets, honest questions. How and why is the salary cap non-existent for the Rams? And why does it seem like Seattle seems to completely stink at managing theirs in comparison? So a lot of this has to do with the way that teams operate their cap. The Seahawks like to have one-year contracts, which you can't restructure one-year deals. So that makes it tougher for them to be able to move money down the road. And John Schneider just doesn't like doing that in general. And a lot of their contracts are backloaded. There's not high base salaries during early seasons. Then there's big cap hits in later years on the contract. They do it differently than teams like the New Orleans Saints and the Rams to an extent where you have front-loaded contracts that have high base salaries. And that allows them to do restructuring and move money around down the road. Again, that's not something that John Schneider prefers. I think it's also worth noting. The Rams have lost some key players this offseason. Andrew Whitworth retired, so there's some cap savings. They traded Robert Woods to the Titans. There's a bunch of money that is saved against the cap. Von Miller wasn't re-signed. So when you consider some of those moves that were made and the fact that they didn't have any other big-name stars in their team that they had to give extensions to, that's why they've had the cap space to go out and get players like Allen Robinson and Bobby Wagner. And we don't know what the structure of Wagner's contract looks like. This first year could have a fairly low cap number hit too. So there's all kinds of different mechanisms in there to impact that. And so I need to see the entire terms of the contract to really know how the Rams fit it into their budget. Uh, but they had some big players they lost that opened up some cap space. They did some restructuring on deals and that's how it was different. The Seahawks just run things differently. That gives them more flexibility year after year after year. 
Whereas some of these other teams, you know, the restructuring, eventually it's like putting money on a credit card. There will come a time where you're going to have to make some cutbacks. But for the Rams, why would they do that right now? They're right in their championship window. They just won a Super Bowl. And so that's why they're able to make those signings in kind of a more general term. Dom tweets, a couple weeks later, how are you feeling about the $8 million per year deal for Will Disley? The Hawks haven't done much, and the O-line and cap is running out. Wouldn't that have been better use of cap space going out and getting some offensive linemen? So I've talked about this a few times on the show. I really like Will Disley, and I think that he was a good player to resign. I definitely batted an eye when I saw the contract, though, and the further away we get from it, I'm just wondering why. $8 million per year for a guy that has not been a big part of the passing game the last two years. Now, if Will Disley would have been able to put an entire season together like he did in the first four games in his rookie year and the first six games his second year before he had back-to-back serious injuries, if he could have put a whole season together where he was catching, you know, 50 passes for 650 yards and had seven, eight touchdowns like he was on pace for, if he was putting up numbers like that to go with his blocking ability, then absolutely you want to keep him around because all around tight ends in today's NFL are extremely important, especially in Shane Waldron's offense that runs a lot of 12 personnel. But we haven't seen that receiver the last two years for the Seahawks. He's still been a very good run blocker. He's valuable as a pass protector. He's basically a sixth offensive lineman. There is value to him. And he obviously has some value that goes away from just what he does in the field. The team respects him for coming back from those injuries. He's a player that teammates love. So keeping him around made sense. But that contract, that is one that they could come back to regret a little bit down the road. We'll see. Maybe Will Disley's going to have a much bigger role in the passing game, and this deal will look much more appropriate. But based on what we've seen the last two seasons, even with him being healthy, not being a big contributor in the passing game, makes me wonder a little bit about how much they're going to be paying him per year and having almost a $10 million cap hit next season, the year three, they might be able to do some moving around. They could cut him by that point or extend him, whatever they want to do. Uh, That cap hit might go down, but next year they're going to be on the books for a big cap hit with him. And I don't know necessarily that his performance as a whole has justified that. Harvey tweets, do you see the Seahawks making any big pickups throughout the remainder of free agency or potentially through trades? Well, this is not going to be the answer that fans want to hear. This is just my opinion. Based on the conversations that I've had the last couple of weeks and looking at the salary cap, again, the Seahawks right now barely have over $9 million in effective cap space when you include the rookie contracts they're going to have to pay for, injured reserve contracts, things like that. Yeah, they have $15 million in cap, but $9 million of it is effectively going to be used on free agents. So they don't have much wiggle room right now. They're certainly not going to be going out and making a trade for a big-name pass rusher unless they make a couple other roster moves to open up cap space. They can't do it. They can't fit that player in. And I don't think John Schneider and Pete Carroll want to give up their draft picks. There's a reason they have been so excited about being able to go into this draft with four picks in the first 72 selections. I don't see them unloading several of those draft picks to bring in a big-name player. And I don't see anybody else in the free agent market that they're going to be willing to pay money for when this is not a team now that is in win-now mode. They've traded their franchise quarterback. 
They got rid of their star linebacker. I just can't see them doing it. To me, the biggest move they could still make is re-signing Dwayne Brown and bringing him back on a one- or two-year contract. That certainly could still happen, but I wouldn't expect any other splashy moves at this point because they did what they said they were going to do. They paid a lot of their own players, uh, re-signed a number of their own players, and quickly that cap space that they had has all but evaporated. They just don't have a lot of flexibility right now. Next question here from Scott tweets, why are you so high on Sam Howell? I don't see an NFL quarterback, and he reminds me of Jake Fromm, formerly of Georgia. That'd be a gross pick for Seattle. So I, I think that, you know, if I would have done a film review yesterday on any of the other quarterbacks in this class, I probably would have gotten the same question because this is a quarterback class that is not being viewed in a positive lens by most draft experts. And I don't think that it is a great QB class by any means. But I see several guys in the right situation that could be quality quarterbacks. And I'm going to include Sam Howell in that category. And I'm even going to say this right now. I was not a big fan of him going into the pre-draft process here. The couple games that I watched him play last season, without proper context, I thought this guy looks like he's in over his head. The decision-making is cloudy. Um, there are times that he doesn't look off the safety or doesn't even seem like he notices the safety and it led to some ugly interceptions, but you go back and you watch more tape on this player. You watch, uh, more games, more of the snaps that he had, and you start to really appreciate the skill set. At least in my opinion, I see the big arm. I see the ability to sit in the pocket and hang tough while getting nailed and throw the ball downfield. I mean, he does things when it comes to throwing the ball from a vertical standpoint that would excite teams like the Seahawks that want to launch the ball downfield. This kid can do it. He has the arm strength. He has the live arm. He can thread the needle into tight windows. He's a guy that can make really difficult throws across the field with in college, you have uh, wider hash marks. So those are even tougher throws to make at the college level than they are in the NFL. So you can see the arm strength, the athleticism. I don't think this is a guy that's going to go out and run a blazing 40. He has not ran the 40 this year in the combine or his pro day, but you watch him on tape. He had almost 900 rushing yards last year for North Carolina. So this is a kid that can break tackles. He's sneaky athletic. He's a guy that is really tough to bring down. So I just look at his full skill set, the leadership intangibles that he has. North Carolina is a program that really took some big steps the last couple of years. And the big reason why has been because of him. And he lost so much NFL talent around him last year. And I really think that he tried to carry that burden on his shoulders. And at times it impacted his play. But he is a guy that I think in late first, early second, I mean, if the Seahawks can get him at pick 40 or pick 41 and they haven't picked their QB at that point, then I absolutely would consider picking him because I think in their scheme, and this kid's only 21 years old, he's still a very young player. I think in their scheme that he can be a starter caliber quarterback. And I think at that point in the draft, it would make sense. I would certainly not pick him at number nine, um, but even if he's there at like 31, 32, and you can trade back up to take advantage of that fifth year option, then I would consider it. But this is a player that I think, is getting a little bit of a raw deal from a lot of people going through this draft process. I think you could say that about a number of these quarterbacks. And again, we've seen bad quarterback classes come in and a few guys come from those groups that have ended up being really good players. So you can't put too much stock into what the draft experts are saying either. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. It's our Thursday show as always. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen 
five days a week. Let's continue our mailbag now. This question coming from Jason Honnert on YouTube. Do you see any way that the Seahawks can get both Ahmad Gardner and Desmond Ritter with their 9-40 and 40 overall selections? That is certainly possible. They are not going to be getting Sauce Gardner at pick number 40. They would have to pick him at number 9 if he's even there. I think that it's a 50-50 proposition that Sauce Gardner, in my opinion, the number one corner of this entire class, is there at number nine. I could see a number of teams in front of Seattle taking a shot on a true shutdown corner, a guy that didn't give up any touchdowns in his entire collegiate career. If Seattle can get him at number nine, then that would be a really good value pick, a, a true shutdown guy that they can add to their defense. So I think that that's possible. You're not going to get him at number 40. Now, Desmond Ritter, that's a bit more of a wild card here. I'm higher on him than some people are. He does not have a big arm. I'm just talking about Sam Howell a few minutes ago. Sam Howell's got more life in his arm than what Desmond Ritter does. However, I think Desmond Ritter is a better decision maker, at least at this stage. He is the more polished of these two quarterbacks. He's also a really good athlete, not going to be breaking tackles the way that Sam Howell does, but he's a more explosive athlete in space. And he has the ability to extend plays. He's got good poise in the pocket. He can make those throws over the middle of the field that we haven't seen very much from Russell Wilson over the years. So he has a lot of traits that I really like. The lack of arm strength is something that certainly is a little bit concerning. But I thought his arm looked more live in his pro day than what it did on his game tape. There's just a lot to like. I can see him being a player that gets picked much earlier than many are anticipating. But if he does manage to slip into the mid-second round, and he's available for Seattle at pick 40. I think he has a lot of traits that would really stand out to the Seahawks as potentially being their next franchise quarterback. Murph writes, which player has a better chance of becoming an all-pro, Daryl Taylor, D. Eskridge, or Trey Brown? That's a really good question. D. Eskridge has the upside, at least as a special teams player, to be an all-pro returning kicks and punts. And I think when you look at what he can do with the football in his hands, his downfield capabilities, we didn't get a chance to see those traits last year very much in his rookie season with the concussion at the beginning of the year. It just set him back tremendously. That being said, he's got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in front of him. That is always going to be a huge barrier for him becoming an all-pro caliber player. There's just not going to be enough targets for him. Trey Brown coming off of a patellar tendon injury. I think he's a very solid corner. I don't know that he's got that kind of upside where he could be an all-pro player, but he certainly could be a quality starter for a number of years, and he looked really good before the injury last season. Of these three players, though, Daryl Taylor's the one that clearly has the best opportunity. We saw him last year in spurts, six and a half sacks. There were games where he was kind of quiet, but you could see the speed the quickness, the ability to bend the corner, if he can just improve flattening out the top of his pass rush a little bit, he can add three, four, five sacks to what he had last year real quick. This is a guy that could be a consistent double-digit sack producer, especially in a 3-4 scheme. He's got the ability to drop back in coverage. I think he's perfect for what the Seahawks are wanting to do with that hybrid outside linebacker spot. So of these three players, he would be the one that I think he has the best opportunity in front of him. He's got the best scheme for him to really be a breakout player. And the Seahawks are going to be counting on him as their number one pass rusher now. So I think he's the one of those three that has the best chance to maybe eventually be an all pro. First, he needs to get to a pro bowl. And then maybe from that point, by year four, 
he can be an all pro caliber player. If the Seahawks can, you know, develop into that kind of a player, that's going to be a huge deal for their defense moving forward. Doug writes, out of all the events of the combine, in your opinion, which one is the toughest to excel at? So if you're asking me from a personal standpoint, just participating in the Seahawks media combine, once you get past a certain age, straight line speed is the first thing that goes. And so the 40-yard dash to me is the toughest one because I used to be able to run a fairly fast 40-yard dash. I used to go under 4.6 back in the day. Now 5.5, which honestly for a 33-year-old that had not done any sprint training for almost a decade, I will take that. But there are very few people that can run a 40 under five seconds. That's an extremely difficult one. Um, Your quickness drills, your three-cone drills and short shuttles, those are really tough too. Um, And I know some really athletic people that can run fast that struggle in those change of direction drills. So those are difficult. Um, For me, the easiest one is the bench press because that's one I feel like strength is something that can hang around a lot longer than speed and quickness and and change of direction ability. But certainly uh, I'd say the jumping's in the middle of that uh, explosive stuff. I would say speed and quickness is the toughest to really excel at and then jumping your vertical jump, broad jump. And then I would say probably bench press last. Now, if you're not somebody that lifts regularly, of course, that's still going to be a challenge. All these things are difficult. But me personally, I would think that that's the one that would be the easiest to build up compared to these other drills that they do at the combine. Tori writes, would Seattle ever consider making a move to get Lamar Jackson? Do you think that would make sense? Well, Yeah, I think Lamar Jackson playing quarterback for the Seahawks would be really exciting. Now, I'm going to be a realist now and take about 10 steps back and realize that that's not going to happen right now. Now, I've seen so much happen this offseason. The Russell Wilson trade, obviously, to the Broncos. How the Aaron Rodgers saga played out, eventually deciding to stay in Green Bay. We've seen a number of other big-name players get traded. Truly have learned this offseason that anything can happen in this league. I just don't see this being a trade that the Seahawks would do, even if the Ravens were willing to listen to offers. I expect Lamar Jackson is going to sign his extension at some point here. Deshaun Watson's fully guaranteed deal with Cleveland has been a game changer, though. That's going to make life tough for the Ravens and any team trying to lock up a franchise quarterback. But I expect them to get a deal done if the Ravens were interested in making a trade, because he's still a pretty young quarterback, he's a former MVP, you know there would be teams that would want to talk to him. And I'm sure that John Schneider would inquire. But this would require them to give up all the draft picks they got for Russell Wilson and probably more on top of that. I cannot see John Schneider and Pete Carroll being willing to do that and then bring in another quarterback that's going to need an extension. They don't have the money right now. They've still got $26 million in dead cap this year on the books from Russell Wilson's contract. I just don't see it happening. If somehow he was available next year, then maybe Seattle would consider it because they'll have a lot more cap space. But that would be a pipe dream. If you want Lamar Jackson on the Seahawks, though, you can always play Madden. Josh M. writes, how much do you think optimism about Stone Forsyth has played into the lack of activity getting tackles this offseason. I think that that's played a little bit of a role, but I also think that the cap space situation, the Seahawks have addressed a number of positions re-signing their own players, and I think they're still talking to Dwayne Brown, maybe Brandon Shell as well. Pete Carroll's kept that door open for both of them to come back. Those could be two players that could come back. I, I don't know they'll re-sign both of them, but they've kept those options there, and I think that they've gone into this process believing 
you know, Stone Forsythe and Jay Curhan, who played really well in his five starts at the end of the season last year at right tackle, we have confidence that those two guys could be long-term starters down the road, but they are going to need to add competition. You can't just give these guys jobs going to the camp. And right now they only have three tackles on the roster. So I do think some optimism about Forsythe's upside, his potential. This is a guy that played really well against top SEC competition fell to the sixth round of them. Steve Hutchinson, Hall of Fame lineman for the Seahawks and Vikings, now was in their scouting department, really liked him, was going to bat for Forsyth. I mean, this is a player that I think they want to be their starter at one of the tackle spots at some point, but they're going to have to bring in competition minimum and maybe have another year where he can learn under Dwayne Brown. That is still a strong possibility with seemingly little interest out there on the market from other teams. Carolina was linked to him. Haven't seen anything on that, though, for a few weeks. So maybe Dwayne Brown's just sitting back waiting for that right offer and and not rushing to sign a contract. But I could see him coming back to Seattle. I could see one of these other veterans that's out there being signed to a one-year deal that's affordable. But whatever they choose to do, they're going to have to add some talent that position. Maybe there's a guy they like in the draft as well. There's some players like Charles Cross that might be available to pick number nine for them. There's some good day two prospects at that position as well. So they've got a lot of different options, but it doesn't look good on the depth chart right now with just three guys that are at the tackle position currently. And between them, you have five starts and only one player that has played more than 20 snaps in a regular season game in the NFL. That is not an ideal situation for whoever your quarterback's going to be, whether that's Drew Locke or Baker Mayfield or Geno Smith or Jacob Eason, whoever it is, they're going to have to bring some competition in to at least push those young guys. And maybe Stone Forsythe plays really one camp and wins the job. But I do think that is part of the reason why the Seahawks have maybe not rushed to sign tackles this offseason like they may have otherwise. Last question here coming from Mark Denali. Should extending Noah Fant be a priority with him going into the last year of his rookie deal? So if Noah Fant was a second, third, fourth round pick, anything other than a first round pick, then I would be saying, absolutely, you need to get that worked out right now. This needs to be one of the extensions that's prioritized before the start of training camp. This is a big time athlete, a really explosive tight end that I don't think has played up to his potential at this point. And maybe he can in Seattle, but the Seahawks have a mechanism at their disposal in the fifth year option that they have not used on their own first round picks. But I absolutely could see them using it next month on Noah Fant because he hasn't been a pro bowler. And according to over the cap, because of that, he hasn't picked up escalators that would increase the value of his fifth year option. There are four different tiers. He is in the second one which is based off of extended playing time, which he has met that with how much he's played for the Broncos his first three seasons. But it would only be $6.85 million in guaranteed money to give him the fifth-year option, at least based on over-the-caps estimate, for the 2023 season. I think Seattle would be dumb not to do that. It's not an expensive contract for a guy that you've been raving about that could be a big weapon in the passing game. And he has familiarity with Drew Locke already from their time in Denver. So I think that that should be a slam dunk that they do that. Because then you have two years under club control that you can truly evaluate where he fits in. If Now, they might believe this is a guy we just traded for. We want him to be part of our long-term plans. We don't, we don't need to see what he looks like on the field for us. Let's just extend him now. That certainly could be something that John Schneider does. And they could still do that after you know picking up the fifth-year option. They have different options on the table here moving forward. 
But I think that it would be dumb not to pick up that fifth-year option, and that gives them the flexibility where, hey, we don't need to sign him to an extension this offseason, and he would still be technically under contract next year. We don't have to worry about losing him, and if we feel more comfortable then with giving him a long-term extension, we can do it. If he doesn't play well this year, then that gives the flexibility where, hey, now he's going into a one-year prove-it deal, and we can wait and see. So they've got a lot of flexibility with him being a former first-round pick that I expect is going to impact their decision-making on how quickly they work towards giving him an extension. I would think DK Metcalf is going to remain the number one priority on that front for the Seahawks moving forward. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast. It's hosted by Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker. Those guys do a great job with insight and analysis on draft prospects, on the needs of teams. They bring in guests. They even have my co-host Rob Rang join the show once or twice a week as well. So you know that they're going to have tons of insight on a number of players and what teams are looking for. Make sure to check out the Locked On NFL Draft podcast that's available on all major platforms and also streaming on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast as well. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all major podcast platforms and streaming video five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on our Blue Friday episode, I'll be rejoined by Nick Lee. The two of us are going to take a look at remaining free agents that might be in play for the Seahawks with their limited budget that they currently have at their disposal. And we will be checking out the receiver group in our latest draft prospect profile series. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.